it is well with your soul this morning. I think my favorite verse is that third verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin. Not in part, but the whole. Every single one of them. Nailed to the cross. I don't bear it anymore. Jesus bore it for me. One of these days we get to be with him. I trust it's well with your soul this morning. And if it is well with your soul this morning, you are a person who is looking to serve. You're looking to serve the Lord. You're looking to serve other people because you have got a a grasp on what the Lord has done for you. You could never do anything to earn that, but we can certainly show the Lord how grateful we are for what he's done for us. And if it truly is well with our soul, that shows up in a desire that we have to serve the Lord and serve other people. And if you're going through life and you're looking to be served, by God and by others. Everybody kind of exists just to make things more comfortable and nicer for you. Probably isn't too well with your soul. Your soul's probably got some work that needs to be done on it. We uh, have been talking for the last several weeks about this business of seeking to serve and, and not going through life seeking to be served. We've been looking at John chapter 13 and we see the example that the Lord Jesus Christ sets for us there as he washes the disciples' feet and also talks to them about what he is doing. And we see ten characteristics of serving that stand out in what the Lord does here that really ought to carry in to the way that we go about serving the Lord and serving others, serving in love, serving with eternity in view. Serving first, taking the initiative, not waiting to be invited, not waiting to be asked. Serving humbly and even in difficulty. Doing distasteful things like the Lord washing the disciples' feet. Things that are, are hard, hard to do. Serve when we're misunderstood. Serve when we're following Jesus' example. Serve following Jesus' command. Serve expecting Jesus' blessing. He said, if we'll be happy, we'll be blessed if we, if we serve others and serve the Lord according to the example that he set for us. We serve even when opposed and rejected. One of the things that blows me away as I read this passage is all indications are that Jesus washed the feet of Judas. What an amazing thing. And then he goes on and he teaches the, the other disciples that he's going to be betrayed by, by Judas. So he knew, it was, he knew it was in story. He knew it was coming. But he uses this to prepare the other disciples for to see fulfillment in prophecy. The last verse that we want to look at in connection with this is verse 20. And the 10th the characteristic, and that has to do with the fact that when we serve the Lord, we serve as Christ's ambassador. Verse 20 says, Most surely I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he receives me, receives him who sent me. Jesus is telling the disciples, whoever would receive them would be receiving Jesus himself. Whoever would receive Jesus receives the Father. You know, anybody that thinks they can be right with God without being right with Jesus Christ is sadly deluded. If you don't know Jesus, you don't really have a relationship with God the Father. 
uh, God became man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross and, and pay for our sin on that cross. And he is God incarnate. Jesus is fully God, fully man at the same time, and he is the only way to the Father. He says in the next chapter here in John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we can also take what he says here, because he says, I say to you, he receives whoever I send receives me. If you're here this morning, you know Christ is your Savior. You have been sent out into this world to be his representative. He didn't take you to home. He didn't take you home to glory the minute you got saved. He left you in this world and left me in this world, and he sends us out to have an impact on the hearts and the lives of other people. As Christians, we are followers of Christ, and we are also sent out by Christ to do what he would have us to do in this world. Parallel passage is listed on the back of your bulletin there for you in 2 Corinthians 5. Well, it says, now then we, and this is talking to Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As I present to you the word of God this morning, it's like God himself is speaking here. I don't have an inflated idea of myself, but, but I, I'm here pointing you to God's truth. And as I point you to God's truth, it's like God is pleading with you, be reconciled. God wants us to be reconciled to him. Man by, by birth and by nature is not in a right relationship with God. But God wants all the, the people to, the, to whom he, he's given life to be brought into a relationship with him where he is our heavenly father. And we are his child, and we will get to dwell with him in glory forever and ever and ever. And, and that's what the gospel message is all about. Good news. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He rose again the third day, according to the scripture. And the, the good news is that even though we are sinful people, how wonderful it is, we can be forgiven. We can be brought into a relationship with God where we can go through this life uh, knowing Christ as Savior, knowing God as our Heavenly Father. Well, there's no promise we don't go through trials and difficulties. Uh, we don't have any promises like that in Scripture. But the promise is if we go through trials and difficulties, guess who's right there with us, supporting us, encouraging us? The same one that went to the cross on our behalf. And the truth of the matter is God pleads with people today through people. If you're waiting for an angel to speak to you from heaven, tell you you need to get right with God, don't, don't wait on that. He, he pleads with people through people. He pleads through Sunday school teachers. He pleads through preachers. He pleads through parents. God works through people. Now, he, he reveals himself in his word. Uh, God has, has promises that are declared to us in Scripture, uh, promises about this life, promises about eternity, promises about Jesus coming back again. But the reality of God's promises is experienced by God's people. God is real. God's promises are real. The truth of Scripture is real. And sometimes it can be very powerful and encouraging to hear someone share a testimony 
of how God has worked in their life and, and, and how God is working in their life. It, it gives support for the fact that God's promises are true. Uh, God's working in our lives is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And a saving relationship with Jesus really does something in our lives. It makes us well with our soul, no matter what we're facing, no matter what kind of trials come along, no matter what kind of success comes along. It can be well with our soul when we have that saving relationship with Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. Uh, anybody say amen to that? If you got Christ and you're in a saving relationship, isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful? Uh, it doesn't make all your problems go away. But boy, what a help it is as we go through this life day to day. Uh, this morning, doing something a little bit different. Uh, a good friend of mine, Ken Cotton, and I were talking a few weeks ago uh, about some things that God has done in his life and saving him and some things that God's doing in his life right now. And uh, we thought it might be a good idea for Ken to just share his testimony with you this morning. And this is in no way uh, Ken desiring to be lifted up or anything like that. His desire, my desire, is that we recognize the reality of God's working in our lives and that Christ receive all the praise and all the glory. So, Ken, if you'd come and, and share what the Lord's laid on your heart this morning, and uh, we'll pray that God God uses that as encourage, encouragement and challenge to each one of us. Let's pray. Okay, well, we got a green light on the transmitter, and I made it up here without passing out, so that's a really good start. very thankful to have this opportunity this morning. Thankful to have a few additional members of my family here. Thankful for some very special friends that are here today. Again, just thankful for the opportunity. My desire today, the reason I wanted to speak to you was to tell you that there is hope, real hope that does not depend on your circumstances. As I'm sure you'll observe shortly, if you haven't determined it already, I am not a professional speaker, certainly not a preacher by vocation, but I do believe that if we know Christ, we're all called to preach at least sometimes. Because I'm not a preacher, what started as an outline, one page with about six bullet points, turned into six pages of, you better write it down if you're going to have any chance to remember it. Don't be scared by that because it's large print. I was hoping I wouldn't need to wear my reading glasses today. And I realize a lot of you don't know me, but honestly that's okay because I probably don't know you either. My name is Ken Cotton. My family and I have been attending church here for about five years. We sit third row, piano side, because that's where I'm comfortable. My wife, Wendy, one time tried to make us sit in the center section here. We did that one Sunday. I was not comfortable. And I can tell you I'm not especially comfortable speaking this morning. My throat is dry. My heart is pounding. 
I'm sure by the time I'm done, I will be sweating profusely. But I know that God has not called us to be comfortable. He has called us to love him and to obey him. I want to be obedient to him. That's why I'm up here this morning. And I asked Pastor if I could speak today because I believe that God has given me an opportunity, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I didn't want to blow it. See, I know that there's about 300 people in this service any given Sunday morning. And of those 300, I'm sure there are a great number that already have an authentic, living, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But I also know there are bound to be a number that are just churchgoers. Those who appear to be doing the right things, those who you couldn't tell on the outside look any different from any of the rest of us, doing all the right things, but Christ is not Lord. And I'm sure there are some, maybe some who don't even know why they're here this morning, that have no interest in things of the Lord, no interest in things of the church. And again, I just want you to know that no matter what, there is real hope in Christ only. A little over 30 years ago, I moved to Michigan to work at Walbro in Cass City. And I quickly became friends with Wayne Heckman. We hit it off immediately, and my good friend Wayne noticed that I had no real interest in things of the Lord or things of church. So he invited me to go to play church softball, not to go to church. And I liked Wayne, and I liked some of the guys that were going to be on the softball team, so I thought that sounded like a good idea. So I told him, yeah, I'll be on the church softball team. Well, then he said, well, actually, there's some rules there, you know. If you're going to play on the church softball team, you have to go to church three out of four Sundays. He tricked me. But I'd already given my word, so I went to play church softball, and I went to church for the summer. But when softball stopped, church stopped. But while I was going to church, I heard a preacher there preach the gospel, not like what I'd heard before. My experience with preachers was what I'd seen on TV, which was mostly people who dressed ridiculous and demanded your money. That's what I was familiar with. And he wasn't like that. He was authentic, and it got my attention for the summer. But then I set it aside. But that fall, I came home from playing basketball one evening, and somebody, and I never find out who, had left a tract in my doorway. It explained the gospel, and I read it, and I recognized the truth about who I was, about my sinfulness, about what I deserved, but what he had done for me. And that night, in my house alone, I got on my knees, And I prayed to him, and I confessed my sin. I repented. I asked him to be my Lord. I got saved that night. And I had a lot of growing to do after that, no doubt. But for the last 30 years, I can say that he has been faithful, and he has been so patient. And for the next 25 years, I can say that life was very good. I had a good job beautiful, loving, godly wife.
great kids that I am so proud of. A healthy body and everything was good. And if I had told you then that God is good, that Christ loves you, that he offers you hope, you could maybe rightly have said that's easy for you to say. Everything's good for you. You don't know what I'm going through. And it's true. I don't know what you're going through. Four years ago, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. I know many of you have gone through similar types of things, and you know how scary that is to hear. The tests that were done at that time showed that there wasn't anything else in any other organs, which was a relief. So we had surgery and had the tumor removed. Went through chemo for five months. Basically got a clean bill of health after that. And we were very grateful. It was scary, but we got past it. And for the last four years, and I guess I'm pretty sure if any of you had cancer, you know that you never stop going to the doctor. So for the last four years, twice a year, we get blood work, and we go back to visit the oncologist, and it's about 500 bucks a pop for blood work, and it's $100 a pop to see the doctor. So at $1,200 a year, my wife and I kind of wondered, you know, my oncologist is a great guy. I really love him. But I don't know that I pay 1200 bucks a year to see anybody. And we were talking about it and saying, you know, we're paying $1,200 a year to go there and have him tell us every year, twice a year, how are you doing? That's great. See you next time. And we were wondering if we needed to do that anymore. A few months ago, I started having some pains in my chest. And being a mature man, I didn't do anything about it because I was pretty sure it would just go away. But it got to the point where I couldn't swing a golf club, so it was serious. When it hurts too bad to swing a golf club, it's time to go to the doctor. So I did, and had x-rays, and PET scans, and MRIs, and more CAT scans, and biopsies, and more x-rays. And at the end of it all, the doctor said, I'm sorry, the cancer has come back. Recurrent metastatic colon cancer in my left lung, in my sternum here, and in the ribs under my left arm. And he said, we need to start chemo again right away. And I can tell you that the first chemo treatment was rough. What I wrote here was I wasn't sure I could handle it, but the truth is I had already told the doctor, can't do this. We got to do something else because I can't do this. I said, I need to understand what exactly are we trying to do here? Because if this is what I got to go through, I need to know, are we trying to cure me? Is it hoping to extend my life a little bit? What is going on here? The doctor said, we're not trying to cure you. He said, if you forego treatment, maybe four months, 
continue treatment, the 50% survival rate is about two years. I said, what about, what about the 50% that make it the two years? What about them? Do, do they have a chance then to go on and live a reasonably long, healthy life? And he said, the five-year survival rate is single digits. As you can imagine, that's a pretty sobering thing to hear from your doctor. And it took us a little while to process that. But I can tell you that as we've had time, it's been an incredible faith test and a faith builder. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that I've asked myself, do I really love Christ more than anything? More than life? And I got to find out the answer is yes, I do. And I know all that sounds kind of kind of down, the prognosis, but I don't want you to think things are all bad because there are plenty of good things happening. Not the least of which is that we have so many people praying for us. So many people that are lifting us up to the Lord. So many that are pleading to God on our behalf. And I would be crazy not to be grateful for that. Second, when this all started, I told you I couldn't even swing a golf club, and it got more painful than that. And it was difficult to do the most simple thing. I couldn't put a shirt on over my head because I couldn't get my arms up. Getting in and out of the car was hard because I couldn't tilt my head. It hurt. Couldn't put my socks on by myself because I couldn't reach down. It hurt too bad. I was taking two to four of the stronger pain meds each day to, to get through that. I can tell you, I can thank God right now. I have not had a pain pill for 42 days as of today, and I'm not in pain. I do thank you for your prayers, and I just thank God for what he's doing. Third thing is, you know how when you go to the doctor, they always tell you you could stand to lose a little weight? When you're going through chemo, they don't ever say that. As a matter of fact, if I put on 10 pounds, I'd probably get a pat on the back. So it's really not all bad. And I understand you might be thinking, you know, I'm sorry about all that you're going through. But why exactly should that give me hope? Is that what God does when he loves you? He gives you cancer? Is that what your God does for you? And you know, it's a legitimate question. If God loves me, why do I have cancer? And there's a very simple answer. It's simple to explain, maybe a little bit difficult to accept sometimes. In the beginning, when God created, there was no death, there was no disease. Creation was perfect. But when Adam sinned, when he chose to reject God's authority in his life, God kept his promise that the world would be cursed. And death and disease entered the world. And as followers of Christ, he never, ever suggests that we are exempt from death and disease. 
Bad things happen because we live in a fall, fallen world, but God's desire is always to use everything that happens in your life, good or bad, for our good and for his glory. He wants to use everything that happens as a means to draw us closer to him. For those that don't already know him, it means to draw them to a relationship with him. And for those of us that do know him as Lord, to grow our faith and to bring others to him. My cancer diagnosis might seem like a hopeless situation. It's a coin flip whether or not I'm even going to be here in two years, the doctor says. That, that's not something that anybody would say sounds encouraging. But my hope is in God's promise. I know that our time here on earth, it's a moment. It's an instant. It's a speck compared to eternity. But the reason I have hope is because I know that the moment I take my last breath here on earth, I am going to be with Christ for eternity. My greatest desire is to honor him in my life and in my death and to hear him say on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. My hope is in Christ, but that does not mean I'm not scared, because I am. I'm scared of the way this cancer might progress. I'm scared of the potential for significant pain as time goes on. I am scared that in my weakness during this trial, that I might do or say anything that would dishonor him. But I can tell you honestly, I am not scared to die. Because knowing that I'll be in the arms of my Savior through eternity does not bring fear. If you are in a situation that seems hopeless, if you think your life is meaningless, please know that God has a plan for you. He offers real hope. He may not take the circumstances away. Honestly, I, I appreciate anybody's prayers for miraculous healing. I really do. But it isn't my expectation. Because I know me well enough to know that if God brought miraculous healing to my life, I might be ecstatic for a short while, but a year or two from now, life would return to normal. And I don't think he wants normal. Whatever's going on in your life, he wants to use your situation to draw you closer to him, to grow your faith. And he will give you peace, he will give you purpose, and he will remind you to trust him in the moment. And he wants you to be with him for eternity. You might think, that's great that you think you're going to heaven, but what makes you think I'm not? God is love, he doesn't send people to hell, right? God is love, but God is not only love. God is holy, and he is just. And if Christ is not Lord of your life, 
if you are Lord of your own life, then just like Adam, you've rejected his authority. People like to think God is love. He wouldn't send people to hell. My good outweighs my bad. He has to accept me. Let me just ask, what judge on this earth determines a criminal sentence by comparing his good to his bad? He is sentenced based on his crimes. If a criminal broke into your home and robbed you and the judge let the criminal go free because of the good he had done, would that be justice? How would we expect God to be less just than that? And when you, re when you choose to rebel against a holy, almighty, eternal, and just God, rejecting his authority and claiming that you are Lord of your life, then you have committed the greatest crime. You have robbed God of his authority in your life. And when we have sinned against the eternal and just God, we deserve an eternal and just punishment which means eternal separation from God, eternity in hell. And no matter how highly you might think of yourself, there is no hope when you choose to be Lord of your own life. When you choose to allow Christ to be your Lord, there is real hope, no matter what the circumstances. But God is love. And because God is love, he chose to pay the price for your sin. Christ willingly went to the cross and he took the punishment that you deserved. The holy, eternal, just, and loving God went to the cross as the only acceptable payment for your sin. And please know that he did not take your punishment because you are so valuable. That is a really popular sentiment. Sometimes it's popular in Christian music. But the truth is, yes, you are of value because you're created in the image of God. But it wasn't your value that put him on, on the cross. It was his love for you that put him on the cross. He died for you because that's how much he loves you. He paid the price for your sin, and he offers the gift of eternal life so that you don't have to suffer eternal death. And it's up to you to decide whether or not to accept that gift. Accepting that gift means to recognize that you've sinned against God, to confess your sins, to repent, and give up lordship of your life to Christ and let him take over as Lord and he promises to accept you so you can blame God if you want if you end up in hell but it isn't God's choice it's your choice and please know that the hope that you can have in Christ is far greater than anything that you can experience outside of Christ I just ask you to consider who is Lord of your life today you know, I got a really lousy cancer diagnosis. But that is not the end. Because Christ is my Lord, it is not hopeless. I know he wants to use this now to draw me and my family closer to him. Maybe he wants to use it to draw you closer to him. And I know that when this really brief trial is over, I will be with him cancer-free, for eternity. I'd ask that you consider, please, inviting Christ to take his rightful place in your life and know that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation, 
no matter what news you might get from the doctor, know that Christ is with you now and that you will be with him for eternity. Thank you. Thank you, Ken, for serving the Lord this morning by reminding us that the good news of the gospel far surpasses the bad news of a negative health diagnosis that you get. There's hope in Christ. No matter what we're facing in our life, there's hope in Christ for this life and for eternity. Thank you for sharing how your hope is in Christ and your confidence is in Him, that He saved you, you're His child, and that you're His child for all of eternity. I'd like to encourage us, each bow our heads, close our eyes, and Ken asked if we would examine ourselves as far as if Christ is Lord in our life. And if He is, would you thank Him for that? Thank the Lord that you've got the same kind of hope that Ken shared with you this morning, and you can have it no matter what comes into your life. If you're here this morning, you don't have that hope. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I would invite you right here, right now, just talk to God. Tell the Lord that you know that you are a sinner. You know that you, you deserve eternity in hell. But thank Him for sending Jesus Christ into the world to go to that cross. So you could be forgiven you could be made a child of God and then tell the Lord you want Christ to be your Savior you want him to be your Lord you want to live for him both now and for all of eternity you can do that right where you're sitting just talk to God tell the Lord that God's spoken to your heart through what Ken shared here this morning reminding you of the gospel reminding you of the hope that we have in Christ Would you take him to be your Savior today you do that would you please tell somebody about that I'd be glad to hear from you I'm sure Ken or Wendy and kids would be glad to hear from you that God's using his cancer to somehow work in your life to bring you to the place where you trust Christ as your Savior if you got questions be happy to talk with you yeah uh, you, you got my interest what Ken shared this morning got my interest but I'd like to know a little bit more can I talk with you? Yeah, I'm available to you. Can be available. Any of our pastors would be available to you. If you have a friend, maybe invited you to church this morning, I'm sure they'd be happy to talk with you about that. Lord, I just thank you for being with Ken and, and drawing him into a relationship with you through church softball and through a track that some mysterious person left in his doors. Lord, you work in such amazing fashion. And Lord, we thank you that he's genuinely trusted Christ as a Savior. And you gave him a Christian wife and Wendy and gave him wonderful kids. And Lord, just continue to help him, strengthen him. Lord, if we know you have the power to heal him supernaturally and take the cancer out of his body, and Lord, we'd sure be fine with that if you decide to do that. Lord, we also know that we are mortal. And that one of these days, if the Lord tarries, everybody in this room is going to die of something. Death is not unusual. 
it is a, an intruder into this life because of the fall, but it is not unusual. Lord, we thank you so much that through Christ we have hope in the face of death. Thank you that Jesus really is alive, that he rose from the grave, and that through our faith in him we can have a genuine and certain hope for this life and for eternity. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that has trusted Christ as Savior, that they would make it known to somebody that they get some further counsel and disciple them. Lord, I pray if there's anybody still fighting you, that they, they know they need to trust Christ and they're still holding it up. God, I pray you continue to convict them until they come to the place where they take Christ to be their Lord and their Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you save us by your grace. And we know we're saved by grace through faith, and we are responsible to come to you in faith. So if there's anybody here who's never come to you in faith, May they do it now. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. Would you take your hymnals?